With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On today's Caped Wonder Superman podcast, we are excited about our special in-studio guest. The great Sarah Douglas, who portrayed Ursa in Superman the Movie and Superman 2. Now, the Caped Wonder Superman podcast with Jay Towers and Jim Bowers on iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Caped Wonder Superman podcast. We're excited because this is the Motor City Comic Con week. And with that Motor City Comic Con comes Jim Bowers from Las Vegas here in Detroit in the same room for the first time. I'm so excited, Jay, that we are actually able to look at each other in the same room and do this fun podcast. We are on episode... 11. 11. That's amazing. Yeah, on the iHeartRadio app and, of course, uh, wherever you find podcasts, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. But we're excited, because enough about us, because... The beautiful Sarah Douglas is here in studio for our podcast today. How are you? I am also so excited to be with two of my favorite people in the whole wide world. And thank you both, Jay and Jim, for inviting me along. And also, thank you so much for being such mega Superman fans. I have never seen anything like your office, Jay. Thank you. Yes, Sarah it's, Douglas is at the house. Yeah, it was, it was very impressive. Wasn't that fun yesterday? You walk in and... There's that very impressive Fortress of Solitude desk, which is my favorite thing in the whole room. I, I, you must be the only person that has a Fortress of Solitude desk. It was custom made. I would imagine it would be. <laughs> but, I, but, but, but doesn't that say something about, and I told you this at dinner last night, but I said, mm. I, I always wonder, like, I hope Sarah doesn't think we're just, we're, we're just a couple of nuts because we, we, it does seem a little like an obsession, but we do have, we have other jobs, we have lives, we have, we have those things, but... I mean, for you, thinking back in your life, was there ever anything that you were really attached to? Something you really followed and were attached to? Maybe not to this level. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Not, not to this level. Um, I mean, it would be the same as uh, being 12 or 13 years old and, <laughs> right. and, and following, as I did, the Beatles, you know, and obsessing about the Beatles and obsessing about everything they did and then the small faces and different people. And then, of course, as time goes on, um, that fades. But you guys, it mm-hmm. just goes on and on and on, which is brilliant. It's well, brilliant. It, well, it, it is. And, but it started for you, Jay, when you saw the movie. Were you a Superman fan before 78? I just don't remember. I just, I've said it before. It is my earliest childhood memory. I don't remember anything prior to that because was, it was a four or five. Right. And, um, but it has always brought great happiness. And content, you know, I feel content and happy when I see it. Well, it's funny you should say that. Somebody said to me the other day, um, and I want to say that it was Terry Stamp that told me this. I think it was. But he talked about the fact that Superman was one of those movies that it was perhaps the first movie you saw as a child that you went to the movies with your parents. So there's a great significance to that early memory. It was a family outing or it was something really extra special. And he said and for him, I'm sure it was him. And I think he told me what the movie he had gone to see as a kid. But of course, I can't remember now. Um, I mean, for me, I remember it. This is embarrassing. South, South Pacific. 
hmm. South Pacific, going with my mom and the family and having that that feel good movie. And I'm sure that nobody even knows what South Pacific is anymore. But I can I can go through the whole. <laughs> it's, course, it's you know. yeah, it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, it, it truly is. And I started going to the movies very very young, and remember drive in movies. Loved drive in movies. They were just a such a unique experience. But you know, I was 17 when. Superman the movie came out so I was already a fan of the character although I really didn't read comic books the adventures of Superman on TV mm-hmm. is what really lit me up uh, about su- Superman and flying it's really for me the the fascination of being able to fly mm-hmm. is what initially attracted me to the character and then you know you see lo- you you have to remember that in England we um I was brought up on Saturday morning cinema but it was the Lone Ranger and it was stuff like that we didn't we didn't really, well, I mean, I guess perhaps Superman was out there somewhere, but, but I certainly didn't know about it. So when they came along to ask me to um, meet with the directors the first time, nobody really, I mean, I knew who Superman was and I knew what he represented, but I had no idea of, 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 of the influence and the power of, and, and how important he is, certainly to American culture. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, I, I just went along because it was a it was another job at the time. Well, all right, you were at Pinewood Studios working uh, uh, consistently. That's right. I was actually working on the people that time forgot, which was uh, with uh, the late Doug McClure and Patrick Wayne, and I was fighting off dinosaurs and pterodactyls and and the likes of that. And then we were away filming in the Canary Islands. Um, really cut off. I mean, this was way before social media, so I didn't know what was going on in England. But of course, what was going on was that they were searching for their Ursa. Uh, they were also searching for their Lois Lane, because I remember um, when I finally got the job, Lois, I think Margot, I saw her coming in for her screen test. Um, so it was right up, we were right up against the wire as far as the casting. Of course, they had Christopher. But again, I, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't really get it. And it's taken me a long while to get it, but sitting with you here is an absolute delight because I've finally got it. Mm. And and you know, to meet, I, I was listening to Lou Bregno earlier on talking about three generations, and and that's the same for me to meet the the kids and the dads and the dads that are saying I've introduced my son to or my daughter to, and dads were just in shorts, short trousers when they saw it. Um, how extraordinary to be connected with a, a movie that has such an impact on people. Because so many people that listen to this podcast always want to hear really the behind the scenes stuff. You know, there have been many documentaries and you get these short little bursts of information. But what was the what was the story behind you you arriving? Jim mentioned that you were working on something else. Um, tell me about the actual conversation that you had to get the part. Because you didn't audition, right? No, I didn't audition because they um, they were they were doing screen tests, but they had to shoot those screen tests in the daytime. And I wasn't available. And it was at a time, when was it, 1977? Seven. Yeah, thank you, Jim. See, this is what's great about having Jim there. <laughs> um, it was at a time when there was absolutely nothing going on in England. It was a very quiet time in the, in the, as far as movies went. And I was shooting this film. And as far as I was concerned, I was the only person that was working in England. But of course, I'm sure there were others. But we were shooting the people that time forgot. And so when I heard about it, um, it just filtered through uh, to the Canary Islands as a message. And when you come back, would you like to meet with, um, with the producers? And so when I came back, I was busy working. And this has been well documented, but it's, it's a fact. I, there were nine separate appointments made for me 
to meet with the producers, uh, well, to meet with the director, with Richard Donner. And in fact, um, we were shooting at Pinewood, people at Time Forgot, and I had to go to Shepperton Studios, which was a little distance away, to meet with the director. And as I say, um, they didn't want to spend money doing a, uh, doing a shoot and uh, a screen test in the evening. So I had to go in the evening after work. So every time it got to it being the day that I was going to go and meet Richard Donner, something would happen and it would be cancelled. And I just, you know, I, I got to the point where I just, I, I wasn't that bothered. I wasn't that interested. And I, I, I was busy working, as I said. Gosh, isn't youth wonderful? I don't need this. Anyway, I was busy working and I just kept saying, oh, for goodness sake, you know, they kept cancelling and cancelling. And so I would, instead of going to Shepparton, I would go home and quite happy to go home and to get ready for, an, for another day on Superman the following day. Anyway, finally, on about the eighth occasion, um, they cancelled again. And we had the most wonderful casting lady who's sadly no longer with us called Mary Selway. And Mary called me up and she said, honestly, Sarah, she said, this is the role for you. And, and, and nobody had ever actually said that to me before, and, and certainly not a, an important casting lady. She said, give it another go. Give it another shot. So that's exactly what I did. The following day, I agreed again to go over. I got in the car, and this time it looked like it was going ahead. And when I got to the studio, to Shepparton, um, Richard Donner kept me waiting. I didn't want to say half an hour, but I remember I was tired and I was cranky because it, it had been a long day, and it was probably 7.38 at night. Right. So when I finally met him, mm -hmm. I gave him a piece of my mind. Who do you think you are? I said, I don't know that I did, but I know that I did. I, I, I really let him know that I just thought it was a bit much. You know, I was a busy working actress and you've been holding me up and here you are. You've kept me waiting half an hour. And I sort of had a, probably a little bit of verbal diarrhea, which is, I'm quite well known for. <laughs> um, and it seems that my attitude, because my attitude was not, I really, really, really want this role, sir. Please, can I have it? My attitude was, who do you think you are keeping me? Don't you know that I'm a busy working actress? And of course, I was giving off Ursa vibes. Sure. I was giving off don't mess with me vibes. And I don't give a toss about you vibes. And of course, um, that was the first clue that he had. Um, I believe that I was right for the role. Then I had to go back in again. And this time he had the producers with him. And this time they wanted to see if I could move and uh, I just, I had been forewarned by the wonderful stunt guys who had worked with on the people that time forgot, who were then going to move over to Superman. So we all were great mates. And uh, they showed me a couple of uh, moves that I should make, a couple of high kicks. So I went into this very small office and to say Ilya Sulkin was sitting up on the uh, filing cabinets, probably a little exaggeration, but then <laughs> I like to embellish a bit. But I gave a couple of high kicks and a bit of this, and then it went on. I mean, it was a long process, and as you know, but I ended up with a, with the role. It just sort of happened, thank God, because I, I couldn't have asked for anything more, really, in my life. It's just been wonderful. Well, I remember when the screen test came out on the DVD uh, in 2001, I had known your story about going in and you being canceled numerous times, but everyone started asking me, or the fans I knew, where's Sarah's screen test? Oh, and I, I told them, oh, she didn't need one. She, she did her own screen test. Yeah. But uh, I, I love that story. That's one of my favorite stories. But uh, hey, your, your, your first day of shooting, mm -hmm. do you remember? Uh, it was with Brando. Hmm. So it was, I, I'm not even sure people other than my generation can completely, totally comprehend how enormous that is to be working with Marlon Brando. Um, and we were all nervous. And in fact, I was checking with Jim this morning because I said I, 
Christopher, I'm sure it was his first experience of working with Brando. We were all, um, and, and I can remember him being just an absolute delight. I could barely speak. Um, you know, it, it, he was, there is no doubt about it. I mean, he was a superstar. You know, it, nowadays, because I think movie stars cross over a lot into television, and we're quite used to seeing people out and we've got this whole ridiculous celebrity thing, which of course never went on in my, there wasn't such a thing as celebrity. You were a movie star or right. you were an actor. Right. That was, that was it. There was no celebrity in the middle that had done some silly reality show, she says. <laughs> actually. Um, but anyway, um, so here was Brando who was without question, he had an aura about him. And unlike Gene Hackman, who was wonderful and warm and loved, I quickly preface that by saying Brando was lovely and warm and thick, but 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 Hackman was was you you felt like he was your your uncle or your best buddy, and you would you know you you immediately warmed to him. With Brando, um, I was totally intimidated by him. Sure. Um, and he bless him. Um, within the first day, I mean, a he put everybody at ease, and he was very amusing and 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 um, really has a wicked sense of humor. Um, within the first day, he he'd invited me to sit on his lap. And I remember oh so clearly the decision to sit on his lap because he had quite a tummy on him in those days. And I can remember thinking, do I sit on top of his tummy, which puts me very high up, or do I sit on his knees and perch at the end? And I, I think I sat on top of his tummy and we were very close, the two of us. Um, and he said to me, why are you so stiff and nervous? He said, I'm sure you've sat on a lot of men's laps. And I said, oh, yes, Mr. Brandon. And I, oh, yes, yes, but I was rigid as a board. Um, and he just, he, he was, he was an absolute delight, you know, I mean, just to watch him work. And, you know, he didn't, he, he, he didn't know his lines, but it didn't matter. I mean, he, he read them and I had remarked one day, well, actually the day I was sitting on his lap trying to struggle to find something to say, I, I was so keen to find out about, you know, his performance and how he, prepared for it and and I said and that look in your eyes because I was sort of thinking of streetcar named Desire in those times when his eyes would narrow and he'd go eh. and he said no 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 he said I, he said I, I said that look in your eyes he said no I'm screwing my eyes up because I don't have my eyeglasses on and I'm trying to read my idiot boards which of course were the big boards that were there and they were there on Superman where he had the words written right. um and he would be screwing up his eyes to read them so as far as an intensity goes um I thought it was his performance and it worked for me, but actually he couldn't see without his eyeglasses. So, And, and, and there's not at the time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, there weren't many actors or actresses that could make that demand, right? I mean, you you were required to to know your lines of and course. do the part. Brando was no, not. No, absolutely not. And uh, and and you know, he he went out of his way to make sure that. Uh, everybody was comfortable around him. I remember watching him on the set. You know, there's that whole business on the set where we all have chairs with our names on. And when we're on the set, we're actually filming. We've, we've left our chair. So my canvas chair with Sarah Douglas is available for anybody to sit in and they will sit in it. And then the minute you get off the set, that person will jump up quickly and then you'll go and sit back in your chair. It's just a sort of standard thing on the set. 
And I remember watching him leaving the set and I saw him see the person. He could see that there was somebody sitting in his Brando chair. And instead of walking over to it and having that person jump up in horror and rush off, he carefully took himself to the side of the set and he turned a paint can over and put it down on the floor and he sat down on that so that that person in the chair wouldn't be uncomfortable. And he was perfect. I mean, he was terrific. What a great guy. Wow. What a great story. Jor-El yeah. sitting on a paint can. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he was. And he he's was. draped in black. This is when you were filming the yeah. trial scenes. So that's the that's first things you filmed with. Yeah. And, with, and of course, it went on for days. And I remember my feet were burning because we'd got those PVC sort of mm, boots on. Mm -hmm. And there were, there were terrific lights. I don't know. You probably know better. Underneath that glass that we stood on, there were um, thousands of watts of light coming up. To, to, to burn. And of course, our, our feet were just sizzling. They were just sizzling. I have, I have told the story many a time that he, Brando stuck the words to my forehead. I have to confess, I think I've embellished there. But I do know that at a certain point, I was holding the words in front of my face at, at one point for him to read off. Um, and it still worked. It was still fine. I, 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 I think somebody would have told me if he did stick them to the forehead, but it was a good story. But I did hold the words, and I can remember also that I didn't have any dialogue with Brando, and thank God, because I don't think I could have spoken. I was in awe of him. He was an absolute delight. Well, one of my favorite shots in that sequence, mm. if I may, mm. is when you walk up to the camera when he starts speaking to you, and you move into the light. Mm. And that's such, such a great scene, but uh, that, that's quite an entrance for your character yeah. without having to speak. Yeah. And um, um, so uh, that really jumped out at me the first time I saw the movie because I didn't, I, frankly, I didn't know who you were. Um, I don't think I knew who I was. Right. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've talked about that transformation yeah. and that attitude that you mm. got in when you got put in makeup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also recall very strongly that I saw Trevor Howard coming onto the set and sitting over to the side. And I can remember thinking, goodness, there's brand it they were they were in you know they were mutiny on the bounty together that's right and i don't believe that they had sort of spoken and, and trevor howard was sort of slightly um like who am i to say he was intimidated but he 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 was he was holding back um and then i watched brando going over to him and, and embracing him and then there was but you know he did that actor thing we all do you don't like to intrude even though you've been great mates and you've been stuck on an island somewhere maybe they weren't great mates i'm sure there are stories there i think there were stories there but um, no, it was, it, every day was a, a surprise to me on Superman because I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I don't mean that as, as an actress, but because we, all of us, didn't know what was going on because mm -hmm. we were shooting Superman 1 and Superman 2 back to back all over the place, muddled the up, and um, I was muddled. Well, there was so much groundbreaking mm -hmm. uh, activity going on with mm -hmm. experimenting with uh, different visual effects and the effect of you being... Uh, uh, pulled into the the phantom zone yeah. and all of those things that you did. And I know you spent days up against different lights and cellophane mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. plastic and that kind of thing and, and spinning and and all. I remember that. the spinning because we got really sick. That's they they just spun us and spun us and spun us. Um, yeah, that was. But you know what is extraordinary? That was whenever that was, nineteen seventy. And to this day, I'll I'll meet people who aren't necessarily Superman fans. But they have seen, certainly seen Superman 1. Everybody in the world has seen Superman 1. And they might not have seen it since they were kids, but they will, when they realize that you were in it, they immediately say, oh, yes, you were squashed into that sheet of glass. Mm. 
Now that is one special effect in, in, in millions of special effects in millions of films, but people remember that so clearly. It was such, such an impact on people. It well, brilliant. it really did. I've never oh. seen it, an effect done like that. And it, you, by today's standards with CGI and all mm. of that, Jay, you know, they, they probably would have done it completely different. What, you know, being sure. pulled into the, uh, the mm. phantom zone, but I think it works so beautifully. It's simple yet very memorable mm. at the same time. Um, I might be incorrect about this, but my understanding is that it was a gentleman that had, uh, created that for, I want to say, uh, uh, it was a cereal commercial with a cereal box and, and he had flattened the, the, the loving family who were eating the cereal onto that box, but he'd gone into retirement and they had found him and brought him out of retirement to, to recreate that. We got to um, find that cereal box commercial. We'll find it. We'll find it. Was it was cornflakes. Was it cornflakes? Oh, okay. I believe it was cornflakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, and that's a new one. I, I'd never heard that yeah. before. Well, that's, that's what I was told back then. And I can't make these things up. Oh, well, I can actually, <laughs> but, but I didn't make that one up. That's See, that's the fascinating thing, Jay. We are always learning something new about these movies and that's what really keeps us all going. And we love to share this. Mm-hmm. with fans so many years later other things come out because yeah. uh that, that's what makes this exciting when you when you think about the um the fortress of solitude set we ask about that because fans you you saw that desk i have in my yeah. house and we have friends in, in los angeles that have crystals on their desk and i mean it's very it's very impactful to people uh, tell us about the day the first day you walked onto that set did it seem as enormous as it feels in the movie absolutely um because it was also high so you, you walked in and the set was up, you know, it was up there. It, it wasn't, you know, on, on the same level as when you went in. And it was, it was just an extraordinary light. I can remember it, it, it being so, it just seemed to sparkle. You yeah. know, it, it, there, was, there was great excitement about it. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish I could, recall more but um you know it was of course we had i jeffrey unsworth was did he shoot that jimmy you'll remember because i know sadly he, he 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 died and they had to recreate he had to bring somebody else in of course but i had a feeling he was on the fortress of solitude and then we didn't did he shoot all of that he, he shot all of that with uh, the hackman with anything with hackman anything with hackman, hackman right. and he yeah. sh- he shot all the way up until um until june Seventy-eight, when they had to go to New Mexico for Margot uh, and the crack uh, yes, in the car, yeah. then yeah. he had to leave on another project. But yeah, he shot all of that yeah. under Donner with yeah. with Peter McDonald as That's the primary right. cameraman. Yes. They were like partners. Yeah. They did a lot of movies together. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you just you know, we spent hours and hours not on the set um, because by the time you've got your stunt double and you've got your double and you've got your stand-in and you've got the, although we did obviously an awful lot ourselves. So there were days that passed that you, you, you didn't see a soul. You know, a whole day could go by and I wouldn't step on the set. But then when you were suddenly there in this little wonderful bubble, and certainly with the Fortress of Solitude, this, this glaring white light. Um, and I remember the whole thing on the moon. That was another brilliant, you know, overwhelming set. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know whether that was on the Bond set or not, but again, the, we used the Bond stage on stage, um, which was the largest stage at that, uh, at that time in the world. So it was, you know, we'd all been used to going into Boreham Wood or Elstree or Shepparton into these smaller sort of sets. And th- it was vast. And I remember it was vast because I remember the day they said to me, stand on this windowsill 
and then jump off and you're going to fly to the other end of the studio. You know, and I looked at this vast studio and I thought, oh, my Lord. But of course, I was game for everything. And I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's and, you know, do it. You just jumped off. I mean, when I think of some of the risks that we all took, because we were just so keen to make it work. But there were, you know, there were a lot of occasions where things went a little bit wrong, you know. And well, then, we talked about that last night at mm, dinner about mm. uh, how there was very little training, even though you had the stunt team there. You had Alf Joint, yeah. you had Paul Weston and Vic right. Armstrong and all those guys um, that you were just kind of thrust into it. All right, we're going to hook you up to this harness now. And we're going to yank you up by two wires. There was absolutely no training. Right. And as far as, um, I mean, Christopher would go off and, and, and lift some weights. Of course he did. Yeah. Himself in shape. But no, I arrived on the first day and they put me in a harness and, and off we went. And, you know, they, um, we were talking last night about the pole arm, um, which you, probably everybody understands what it is. I don't know. We can re-explain it. I yeah. mean, sure. But, but basically, the, if I may, yes, the, the pole arm is, uh, uh, they used a, uh, a groundbreaking process called Zoptic. And basically, it's using front projection where you project an image into the background and then you photograph the actor in the foreground. You, so you photograph them both at the same time and you have an instant composite. It was used a lot in the Roger Moore films, uh, Bond movies. But anyway, there's a pole coming out of a hole out of the screen and the body of the actor uh, masks that pole. You don't see it. And they're laying in a support, a mold that they took of their partial mold of their body and that mold is sitting on the pole on like a ball joint and they're able to move you around with that and you're you're kind of stuck in it because you get dressed in it so and, you, and, and you're key, way up in the air the key word is you said partial because they make a partial mold right which you then lie in and as you say you lie in it and and you are dressed over the whole thing so once you're in you're in um when i went to make the mold the first time i went um, nobody, again, nobody told me. They said, you, you're being picked up at 10 o'clock and you're being taken wherever. And I went along somewhere, I think it was in London, and uh, knocked on the door of my appointment and went in and there was a little, again, I don't know that he was a little man, but it's good for the story, but there was a little man with a paint pot. And he said, well, come on in. He said, now I want you to, to strip off and you're going to stand there on it. And it was like a sort of cross. And I stood there practically naked and in fact i think i possibly was naked but the the point of it is i did i wasn't wearing any kind of uh body skin anything at all and he painted my body with this with plaster plaster of paris and i'd like to say he was whistling but he just covered me in this stuff <laughs> i think it was Stuart freeborn he was whistling Stuart freeborn because he was a small guy he did all yeah, of those well he could mm -hmm. have yeah. been Stuart that was doing it but i know yeah. i was perfectly comfortable and he did the whole thing and painted them and then did the front of my body and then it, it then it hardens right and and then they 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 break it open and and they take it off now a little side note here is that they didn't put any grease on me they didn't put anything on me so when they took off that large elastoplast of my whole body. Every single little hair that I had ever had was taken with it. It was agony because they, you know, they just pulled it all off. And, oh. uh, you know, and, and I, can't, I can't, you know, I can't even tell you what it was like. But aside from the fact that when they put the, the knife in the side of the plaster, which was encasing your whole body, the, the, when the air hits your body because it's being cut off, there's extraordinary tingling feeling. Anyway, because the air is going, and then you are being um, exfoliated heavily. <laughs> anyway, so they get the mold, and lo and behold, they've got the mold, and then from that they make the little thing that's going to go on the pole arm. 
And then somebody works out that, of course, I was standing up and all of my bits of my body were in a different position. Right. So we had to do it all over again. But this time, lying in a vat of stuff. So they had like a great big, what's like Lucille Ball doing her wine thing, a big sort <laughs> of, I remember a big tub that I had to go in and lie in it. Because, of course, when you stand up, everything's in a different position. Shifts. It does shift. And it did shift. Thank you, Jim, for being so so tactful. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was another thing. So I had to go. But by then they had actually figured out that, indeed, if you, you wore a sort of light stocking underneath, it wouldn't, you know, body body suit, it wouldn't hurt too much. But there, stuff like that, it was, you know, it was trial and error, trial and error. So, and that was... Out of that, I got a very small piece of body mold that would just encase me from my chest to the top of my legs. Um, and, and, and in that I lay, and of course your legs would be catching the end of the body. I mean, it was very, very uncomfortable. Plus, you always want to go to the loo once you're up there. I used to think, oh, no, <laughs> by the time, oh, no, because, of course, they couldn't get you down. That was it. You were in. Oh, yeah, you're way up, and you talked about the pole with the Kleenex on the end of it because you couldn't come down just whenever you wanted to. No, you couldn't do anything whenever yeah. you wanted to. You were, you were in it. And then once they, my understanding is once they, they started the, the, the action shot, the pole started to, to move in different ways and tip you up and down, but th there was no stopping it. So, so they would, you know, I, I on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A couple of occasions said, no, 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 it's hurting. Or can you stop? And no, you couldn't stop. You just had to go on with it because there were lots of, lots of things happened to us, you know. Talk about the, uh, the camaraderie between you and Terrence Stamp and, and Jack O'Halloran. And what was their camaraderie? Um, I was absolutely, totally in love with Terrence Stamp because I had grown up uh, really worshipping him and admiring him. And the idea of going to work every day with Terrence Stamp was beyond my wildest dreams. And it was an absolute pleasure and a delight. He had just come from uh, a few years being away on an, in an ashram, and he was deeply spiritual. I'd never met anybody quite like him. He was quite quiet, and I remember drank mint tea, and I'd never met anybody that drank mint tea. Um, but he had a wicked sense of humor. And he would dot our little interludes where we were standing on the set with little stories about some of the beautiful women that he had dated and some of the adventures he had got up to. And he would just get to that moment about Julie Christie. And then she, and then they would go, action. I'd go, what? But it was action. So then we had to do the scene. And then I'd come back and say, well, what, what about Julie Christie? Oh, I can't remember. He was forever taunting us. Um, Jack, meanwhile, was the big brute. And a lovable brute, but my goodness me, he was he was he was a, a force to be reckoned with. So you have to remember that they were all on location. Well, Terence wasn't, but mm. everybody else had come over from America. So at the end of each day, all of the actors went back to their uh, to their hotel rooms or their apartments or whatever. But they were all together on location, and when that happens. Um, it's a, it's a terrific bonding thing because you are eating together, you're cooking together, you you know you're drinking together, 
um, and God knows what else they're all doing together. But there was a lot of a lot of fun and games went on. Um, I went home, you know, I went home to my fiance, mm. um, and and so I didn't have that wonderful bonding that they all had every single evening. But I had a bonding that has left me here all these years later. Uh, never stopped being close to Jack and speaking to Jack and. We've never in stock. All of us have enjoyed our, each other's companies and keep in contact, which is very, very rare. Um, Terence is a little bit different because he's a little bit different. Yeah. He's, he's very, very private. Um, and I've just had the pleasure of, uh, you know, we, we, we had the pleasure of having him at a convention two years ago, which was I knew that he would finally do, but I think he found it, he was slightly overwhelmed by it. I mean, he said he was overwhelmed by it. Because, you know, Jack and I do them all the time and we love them. And, and Terence, for him, the, the people are, especially Superman people. I mean, he, he said there isn't a day goes by when somebody doesn't shout across the street, kneel before Zod. You know, he's, he's continually remembered for that role. But he is, is as I said, is a, is a private kind of guy. And, you know, we've got this convention coming up this weekend, which is terrific, um, which I'm looking forward to at, at Motor City Comic Con. But it is... It is quite different from anything else that you do because the, the fans are, um, you know, they want to get up close and personal. And, right. and I'm absolutely fine with up close and personal. But if you're not used to that, it is, it is quite intimidating. And I think Terry found it, you know, hundreds and hundreds. He'd never done one before. People were ecstatic to see him. But hundreds of people lining up and wanting to shake his hand and kneel before him and do pictures. And he was a, he was a terrific sport. But Having said that, you see, he's never done another one. I think that was. I think. <laughs> That's probably it. But I, I did talk with a number of fans who who mm. got to meet you and and meet mm. uh, Terrence there, and and they were just absolutely beyond thrilled. Oh, it was great. And the fact that you two were together. Oh, it was it was wonderful for us. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, it is it it is quite extraordinary that here we are, as we've said, over forty years later, and we're still talking about it. And there is still, there isn't anywhere I go in the world where somebody within a group hasn't seen Superman. And if the rest of the group haven't seen it or don't remember you, they remember you within a couple of, you only got to say Christopher Reeve. And then suddenly, because everybody saw it, whether right. it was on TV or whether it was on your plane or whether, it would, or after that in, in, on, on Thanksgiving or whenever, somewhere along the line, somebody has seen uh, Superman. I have to just say that when I was shooting, Superman, and I was engaged to uh, Rick, Richard, Rick LaParmentier, who I later married, who was doing Star Wars. And he had a small part in Star Wars as Admiral Motti. However, the kids would come and knock on the door, had no interest in me whatsoever in the neighborhood. All they wanted to do was to see Rick, and they wanted him to do his, his death scene. And I used to say, what about me? But nobody knew who I was. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting thing about nowadays, you know. Um, Obviously, things would have been very different, I'm sure, with my career if we were doing Superman now, right. with social media, with all of that. I was encouraged to look different. I was encouraged to wear a wig, to, 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 to not stride around uh, with short cropped hair and long side length boots. Um, the only reason I mention this is that I remember very clearly um, being in a restaurant in L.A. and uh, Daryl Hannah came into the restaurant and she had just done Splash. Hmm. Now. Flash is nowhere as big as Superman, and and Daryl was was a lovely lady, but she arrived at the door and she stood at the entrance of of a very famous restaurant in L.A. and she stood 
And she took her moment and everybody went, well, there's the girl, there's the girl, the girl from Splash. And everybody looked at her. And she looked like a mermaid. She looked the part. And I can remember thinking, boy, because I was sitting there. And, of course, nobody, and why should they give me a second look? If I did this all now, if Superman was today and I was a young thing doing Superman, would I have my hair cropped short? Would I turn up looking like a supervillain or creating that image? Probably the people around me would encourage that. Right. But back then they said, no, you don't want to be identified. You want to be able to do other roles. Well, that's terrific. But I haven't done other roles. I've just played evil wicked queens with different hats on <laughs> over and over and over again. So that, that theory didn't work. But it was, it was really, I mean, it had me. When we went to the, we didn't go to the White House. We went to um, uh, uh, Vice President Bush invited us all. And this was to raise money for the um, children's Special Olympics. Special, Special Olympics, Olympics. Special that's Olympics. it. Yep. And they had a barbecue. And I've got a famous picture of me with Bush embracing me with a secret of, uh, a, a secret, a, a, a circle of secret servicemen surrounding me because I got out of the limo and, and nobody recognized me. I mean, when you're invited to go up to their house for a barbecue, you don't go with an invitation. You go because you're the guest of honor. But nobody knew who I was. So I couldn't get in. And everybody had gone ahead. And I was left outside saying, no, but I'm, I'm Ursa. I'm Ursa. Nobody knew. And then word got out. And um, bless him, he came out through the house, came down and embraced me. And said, I'm really sorry. And he gave, me a little, he gave me a little secret service badge, which I've still got to this day, which I, if, you know, he said, if you need it, just use this secret service badge, you'll get him. But, um, That's great. I yeah, love that. No, I mean, it was, uh, it, it, it was, it was an extraordinary uh, opportunity to get myself known. But all I ever did for Warner Brothers was sell Ursa. Yeah. I didn't understand about selling Sarah Douglas. It, it, because it didn't even enter into my thing. I didn't have a PR. I didn't have management. I was just, you know, from England, and aren't I lucky that I'm flying around the world um, representing the film, which is what I was doing for Superman 2. Which you're so right about, because everything today is about a brand. Exactly. Everything has to be a yes. brand. And yeah. if you don't create a brand, you you don't no. move ahead. Absolutely. And, and indeed, we would have created, and it would have been fine. I mean, we would have created a, a Sarah Douglas brand, uh, and and to a certain degree, with social media, that's what one is doing all the time. But 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 back then, you just didn't do it. So any bit of press you got was because people were interested, and word got out, and every telly that you did, every TV interview was was a bonus. So I did I did okay for myself. But my goodness me, how many followers do you think I would have <laughs> if this was today? I mean, I just look at it. I'm billions and billions of people. But it's fine because every single person that I have encountered, my fans, my following have been there since the beginning and they're solid as rocks. And, yeah. you know, it's great to know. You you're know, Mark, Mark McClure has uh, always mentioned that some of the nicest people he's ever met were Superman fans. And, you know, he's done a lot of shows over the years. He's right. done them with you. And he's mm. just a wonderful, genuine guy. Um, uh, you know, he's easy to be around and so grateful for the experience, too. So much... Uh, admiration for the whole crew, the whole cast. And, you know, I've talked to Jay numerous times about the first time I met you was in 2001 at that Warner Brothers Museum reunion for the DVD. And I immediately realized what a, a true family all of you were. Mm -hmm. And I was witnessing a family reunion. It was remarkable. It yeah. really was. Yeah, it, 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 it was terrific and, and continues. I went to Australia with Mark uh, three or four years ago. Uh, we were just welcomed in Australia. Oh, my goodness me. We had such a great time. But, you know, it's it's brilliant, isn't it? Here we are all these years later. Yeah. Um, 
And I have to just say, now, what Superman was it that we went to see? I went with Valerie. So it was about five or six or seven years ago in San Antonio. So I don't know which which Superman it would have been that had come out. Maybe it was nine years ago. And it, there was a screening of it, one of the newer ones. Well, it was one of the Henry Cavill Supermans. I think it was. That's right. Yeah, Man of Steel. I think it could have been. But she fell asleep at the screening. And I'd never been to one of those. It was San Antonio. So I know we were able to have... We were able to have a little a little drink and food in the so I thought that was all great and relaxed. And she fell asleep and she snored through it. And I felt very old. It was all too much for me. Yeah. I've never played a video game in my life, not to say there's anything wrong, but I, I don't get that whole thing. It's just not my generation. And so this movie came at me. And of course I was totally in love with Henry. How could you not be? And I loved that. But the movie was all too much for me. And so when I meet the fans now and they will tell me, and now I understand this, oh, but I love, you know, the original, what they call the original, which we know it's not the original Superman and, and the humor and the gentleness of it. And I now see, you know, people ask me, what's it like to be compared to the, the, the character who's who's in Superman? What was she called? Um, you know, when I, she was dressed in black and she... I, 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 listen, yeah. I well, don't know. I don't remember. It, they, it escapes me. But, there you go. Right. Well, they, people will say that to me. And, I, and all I can say is we, as three villains, we had no armory. We were just there in our little black outfits and and we didn't have guns. We didn't have anything. We just had that extraordinary power. And the newer move, the newer Supermans, they're all kitted out and it's amazing. Yes, it is. And they're shooting this and they're doing this. And do. But hey, you know, you can't compare it to the... Well, I always, I always say, and we talk about this a lot, and a lot of things about the word nostalgia. And I think for for the younger generation, or even on filmmakers that are doing superhero films, unless they feel that from the past, they don't necessarily, you know, this is those movies are fine. Those the, the new movies, they're, I mean, you know, they 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 serve a purpose. But they um they don't spark anything here mm. when you see them and and I, and, I, and I'm a fan I'm a fan we, we are fans Absolutely. but it's just not it, it, I think people and it's the, why people I think they love to come out and meet you it's not so much for the signature and for the picture as much as it's the feeling people want the feeling they yeah. got we had feelings as kids look at yeah. look at where we are yeah I mean that's all based on a feeling yeah and isn't that great yeah how well, lucky are we well I always felt that back then back then that uh, movies were events. You know, they weren't just, you know, they weren't playing a million times a day and they didn't play all day every day. And you, you made, you, you, you made it that effort to go see it and the long lines, you know, standing in line for the popcorn and all that, that still exists today, of course. But when you're younger, especially, I just think it felt more like an event than it did just going to the movies for me, because I, I, I wanted the theatrical experience and so many fans didn't get to see these movies in the theater but they have just equally as strong memories of HBO, the first screening, or their VHS tape. And uh, I love those stories on top of the fact that how, how the movies made them feel. The stories behind the scenes with the fans are just wonderful because, you know, you'll ask an audience, so when's the first time you saw the movie? Oh, it was my beta tape, you know, and I have it to this day, and it's worn out. You've talked about that. You've mm -hmm. got your original sure. clamshell VHS tapes yeah. and, and how you, you cherish those mm -hmm. so much. How many Ursa costumes do you think there were? Um, off the top of my head, I would say six, but maybe four. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was more the different boots that 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 I recall because from different angles and different different zips and different 
types and they things. They serve different purposes. Yeah, yeah, they all did. Because, of course, as we were talking about, the you know, when I was in a harness and when I was, I mean, you know, that was another thing. Nobody had quite figured out that my Ursa outfit, which was fantastic and had those slits that went right up the side, but that also meant that you could not be wearing a harness that would show. So they had started off with the idea of a, you know. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like Peter Pan. When you, somebody would play Peter Pan, they have these great big harnesses that go from the top of the thigh up to the chest and you lie, you know, and it's like a big corset. Yeah. I couldn't wear any of that because you could see. So I literally had like a little tiny... Um, suspender belt, a little belt, a tiny little thing around my waist with, with two hooks on, on either side of my hips. There was no other support because they, there wasn't anywhere for there to be any support. Right. So when I went up on the wires, I would hang over, you know, I would just hang in, a, in, in, the, in that bent over shape. So all of the flying, all of that position was me having to do it with my own strength and my own back and everything else. Um, because the the costumes, yes, they worked brilliantly, but as you can see, there was nothing underneath here. Mm. And those are big leather straps, I think, with like buckles on them that for your harness. Yeah. And yeah. And, and you know, you like you said, there's only two wires, so you That's had to right. use all your abdominals yeah, to absolutely. try to keep your legs up and absolutely. and all of that. But for you, especially hiding that, must have been yeah r- really challenging. Because I don't think that the men's their 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 splits did not go as high up the cut in the costume, did they? Like no. Me. In fact, I've never really thought about that, but in fact, I don't, I don't even know. But I mean, I went way up, way up, as we know. <laughs> yeah. And as I hear from lots of dads nowadays who say when they were young men, my goodness me, what an effect that had on them. Yeah, I can't imagine why. Here, here, here's a fan speculation question. Yeah. What do you think happened to uh, those three villains as they were escorted off at the end of uh, the Superman 2 that we got to see as, for me as a kid on television, I never knew what happened to the villains. I thought they just kind of went into oblivion. Uh, but then there's this great Superman two where you guys are escorted out to uh, to that uh, the, um, the these Arctic Patrol uh, yeah. vehicles. The police yeah. take you away and it shows you being uh, yeah. escorted into them. Yeah, that's right. Because we also uh, word was on the set that we would be coming back. Hmm. We always understood that that was that was the plan that we would come back. Because I think I'm correct in saying that that was they reshot the ending where we just disappeared over the end. So they, at the end, don't I just disappear, disappear over the edge at one point? Well, you do. Yeah. Mar- Mar- Margot yeah. punches yes, yes. you and you fall over and that's it. That was it. So the so the other sh- the other thing where we're, we're escorted away, who did that? Well, Richard Donner did did that. Okay. So then yeah. Richard Lester. He, I have to ask you because I don't remember. Richard Lester <laughs> then shot where we went over the edge. Well, Donner so also Donner. did. Okay, so it was Donner's well. Right, Donner did did both, but what happens is what they yeah. did not ever edit into the into any particular edit. It was just an extra scene yeah. on the disc. Yeah. Is Hackman, uh, Margot, and yeah. Chris walk outside the fortress? Yes. And they take Hackman away, and you see the yes. villains in the background. So that yes. just that piece of footage just wasn't used. They stopped it, so you just falling over the edge inside, yeah. and you just have to assume that they're. 
I assume they were dead. That they're dead yeah. because uh, Superman and Lois fly away. And in fact, in the theatrical cut, they just leave Lex. Yeah. Really? Well, where's Lex going to go? He's not going to walk back. So, so they, they kind of leave you hanging. So that, 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 uh, how that, bizarre. I hadn't yeah. realized that. I mean, I certainly, I, I never thought that, I never thought that we died. I thought we just disappeared so we could come back again another day. You were incapacitated. That yeah. was it. Maybe. Did you, at the, did you at one point think after the success of two, that they would find a way to continue that storyline? Did you think that was going to happen yeah. or did you think it was done? No, no, yeah. we thought it was going to happen because that was all the speculation on, on, on the set. Right. Uh, there was also speculation that that people, you know, once people weren't happy with the villains coming back, but that is but speculation. So I'm I, I don't know, but yeah. you know, it's, it's so many years later. But but because we we they they were very surprised at the power that we had and the impact that the villains had. Uh, I don't know that they actually thought that that was going to be the case. Um, until we started shooting it. Right. Um, and because we were incredibly popular. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, remember that, that poster where you actually see us between Christopher's legs, between Superman's legs. There was a, an original poster that you see the three villains. And then that was stopped. And then they brought out another poster, uh, which was more focused on Superman. So I, I think there was a, a certain amount of conversation went on as to whether the supervillains were, were we're perhaps getting too big for their boots. Maybe there's a good expression. Well, but Jay, what did you think they that they did with the villains when you saw that scene? What do you think they went like? Just went to jail yeah, went or to, yeah, some super jail, some some prison. They were they were civilians now because they had no more power. Right, right. Um, through the years after Superman, two, you've done so much work. Did anyone ever come back to you? Do you recall ever a time anyone asking you to? reprise that role or do something, whether it was animation or, or anything related to Superman again, other than, you know, obviously it was in Supergirl and a couple of things. Since, well, like yeah, that way. The, well, I, uh, I did the, uh, Supergirl, the, the, the character in the cartoon of Superman, uh, Lara, I think it was called. Um, so, I, so, so in LA I did, I did, um, I played a character that was very similar to Ursa right. in that she was evil and wicked and all those things. Um, you know, no, I mean, what, what, what was always, what, what happened was that I got locked into playing the bad girl. Yeah. You know, so there was a certain amount of, I mean, the closest, I, I, which is ridiculous, was F Falcon Crest. When I went onto that in 83, they went out of their way to A, publicize me as, as, as a bad girl from Superman joining Falcon Crest, but they also dressed me um, pretty much, uh, well, certainly every week, uh, most of the show I would be wearing leather or um, suede as a leather-clad dominatrix because Variety had said that I was, you know, the best leather-clad dominatrix that anybody had ever seen, and they locked onto that. Now, of course, you know, I was going around saying, but I wasn't wearing leather. I was wearing, <laughs> you know, I had... PVC boots and organza, but the fact of it is, is that that was the image that 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 was preceded me everywhere I went, and and I had I found it quite a challenge in uh, living in Los Angeles because people people want to see that. Yeah. So when I went into an interview or an audition to meet people, they really did expect me to go in in my Ursa mode, 
which is not who I am. Right. And, and I really toyed with it. Sometimes I tried to do it, um, which, you know, and there are pictures that will prove the point when I'm out in public. I'm trying to look like the tough sort of girl with the leather and the thing. And a lot of the time I just, I just didn't do it, which being Hollywood, being such a wonderful place, it confused producers and directors. Um, I remember a very, very long time friend and good friend is Kathleen Turner. And Kathleen was just on body heat. And she said she always felt sorry for me because she said when I go in, she said, I know that what men want to see is a sexy, sensual woman. And indeed, she was back then. That's, she went in and she gave them exactly what they wanted. She said, when right. you go in, they're wanting the leather-clad dominatrix and instead they get you. <laughs> you know, but it, it really is, um, it, it, was a, it was a different sort of time because you, you have to remember I'd come from England where genuinely you either were a movie star and you went to Hollywood, or as I said earlier on, or you were an actor. And I was an actor. I happened to be in Superman. And so going to America, uh, I, I just went for three months um, and ended up getting, on the day I was leaving, the day I was leaving, I was asked to do an episode of Falcon Crest. And then I did it. And then they said, would you do another one? And every week they kept thinking it was going home and it went on and on. So I was not, um, I, I, I had no preparation in my head for, for this whole, um, as, as we said, uh, uh, what did you say? Not marketing, um, image. A brand. Branding. Yeah. Uh, they were, were trying to brand me from a very, very early, I mean, right back in the early 80s. So all of my press has got the bad girl and Sarah Douglas and super bitch and super villain. And nobody guided me on that. I mean, I, by the time I got to Hollywood, I had publicists and they completely capitalized on it. Right. So whenever a producer wanted to say something about anybody in a show that they weren't happy about, that I was in, they would use me to be the mouthpiece. So I was forever being quoted and, and, and I would get horrified by things. I mean, there was one occasion where supposedly I said a whole bunch of stuff about Gina Lola Brigida, who was in Falcon Crest, which was, I barely knew the woman. Um, I'm delighted to say that I, uh, Liz Smith, who was a famous columnist, made a, did, did a retraction for me because she knew me well because I was so mortified. But the producers actually said later, well, we're really sorry, but if we just said it, you know, they weren't pleased about something, nobody would take any notice of us. But they said, if you say it mm -hmm. as the bad girl. So I, I, along with my mother, who kept saying, I wish they wouldn't call you a super bitch, darling. I said, I know, <laughs> mom, I'm a... Um, but it, it, it certainly, I was thrown into that. And it was in England, we hadn't even begun to brand. So I would fly back from Hollywood to, to, to London and to Stratford-on-Avon, where my hometown is, and believe me, nobody gave a, a bit of notice to me. I mean, nobody, I just, I got off, I would go, I would go in the chauffeur-driven car, I would fly home first class, and then I would get off at London Airport, and I would get a coach, and the coach would drop me at the little chef on the motorway, and my mum would pick me up. I mean, I used to go, that was the difference in my life. I'd go back to England for a few weeks, and then I would come back to America, and the minute I got on the plane, it all started again. And it was kind of Jekyll and Hyde-ish, but I was not, prepared to, uh, and I wasn't ready to, to, to deal with that branding, if you like, yeah. uh, I would be much more prepared today. I mean, I know what people expect today and I see it all the time, but, uh, it was, a it was, a it, it was, a, it was, it was, we were in between times then it was just starting in America. Is it true you locked Jane Wyman out of a, out of a, uh, out of a dressing room? I'm kidding. I made that up. I just yeah, thought I was just going well, no, to say it. I, I, I was just, is it true you shared a beer with Jack? Yes, I did uh, in, in the Napa Valley. But, you know, those are, those are things. And as a young actress, I, I really struggled. I, yeah. I found it really difficult to, to open up. Um, 
some of the tabloids and see stuff I that I'd done. And I would think, mm. no, because it was, it, they did it. And, and I think nowadays, I mean, all I can say is, thank goodness, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be me back then today. Because with social media, with everybody taking, I mean, I was able to enjoy the 80s. I want to sell you, Jay and Jim, to the fullest. Yeah. I had an absolute adventure and an absolute blast. And, and luckily we got through it without, you know, getting into too much trouble. But today it's a whole different story. No, um, thank you. We should remind everybody that to to follow this great legacy of Sarah Douglas, she is on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. So make sure you like those accounts. She's easy to find because uh, we tag her in everything. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I love to go to Sarah Douglas Official on Facebook. And your friend Eli does a wonderful job between the two of you posting some wonderful videos and vintage stills yeah. and flashbacks. And so I encourage everybody to go there often. Thank you, Jim. Eli has absolutely, he has found stuff that I've never seen before. And it, and it is an absolute joy. And of course, you know, my great love is, is taking photographs and, and nature, which is the other side that we don't promote so much. So I, I love being able to post pictures, although I think people think I'm crazy of, you know, bugs and carrots that I've grown and different things. But there's a few, there's a few glamorous ones. In hey, I well. love your gardening pictures. They're I great. All the garden. flowers. You live in a beautiful place in, in England. I do. And, uh, you know, when you take your walks in the morning in the countryside. Absolutely. And well, we're, we're hoping to get back. At the moment, the, the, my life is very much in England, although I'm, you know, I'm back and forth to America. I haven't, I haven't given up on America, but I have, I have family commitments at the moment. So, The great Sarah Douglas, thank you so much for spending time with us today as this interview will go on for forever and ever on the Internet and streaming. Yes, it will. Mm -hmm. How uh, wonderful. It's great seeing you. Thank you. Thank you both. I mean, really, you are the ultimate fans because you're not nerdy. But goodness <laughs> me, you do know your stuff, and it's brilliant. Well, well we, we love being this uh, new team that we are. We're not so new anymore, mm -hmm. but this podcast has been a, a, a great deal of fun, mm -hmm. and we're so glad that you were with us uh, in, in the same room. That's right. Uh, am, I your, am I your first in here? You are our first. That's brilliant. Wow. It's, it's, it's it, No, Jay, it's all right. All right. It's all right. <laughs> Maybe I need to fly here every week, Jay, to do the podcast. Maybe. You know. Thank um, you. Don't forget to uh, be back here for another episode of the Cape Wonder Superman podcast. You've been listening to the Cape Wonder Superman podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Jay Towers is a Detroit TV anchor and morning radio host on 100.3 WNIC Detroit. Follow Jay on Instagram and Twitter at Jay Towers. Jim Bowers is the founder and editor of CapedWonder.com, the home of Caped Wonder Superman imagery. Follow Jim on Instagram at CapedWonder and on Twitter at CapedWonderJim. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.